Welcome to Nevertheless, She Persisted. I'm your host, Sadie. Every Friday, I post interviews about mental health, dialectical behavioral therapy, and teenage life. These episodes break down my mental health journey, teach skills to help you cope with life, and showcase testimonials from teens just like you. Whether you've struggled yourself or just want to improve your mental fitness, this podcast is your inspiration to live a life you love and keep persisting. This week on She Persisted. I didn't have the language to communicate that it's impossible to problem solve in when you're in a level of distress that allows you not to be able to think. It's so much easier yeah. to sit in that discomfort, to sit in that distress because that's what's comfortable for you. And we get into that point where that distress state serves us. We get validation, we get, we get support. So a lot of what my mission has been is how can I use this platform, my privilege and my space to educate women and non-binary people about every type of experience and desire and walk of life. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of She Persisted. It has been a little bit. I think it's been almost a month, maybe a little bit longer since I posted an episode. I've been dealing with tons of stuff behind the scenes as far as podcast production and just getting everything on the business side of things nailed down. If you're interested, I can totally share that, what that's like with you. It's a lot more difficult to kind of do the business side of a podcast when you're under 18 and doing it by yourself. So if anyone's interested, let me know. I can dive into that more. So we are good to go with episodes. Finally have it all figured out and I have so many episodes coming up within the next couple of months with just some phenomenal guests, amazing conversations, and I just cannot wait to bring them all to you. So with that being said, a little bit of a life update. I think I've submitted probably three more college applications since I last came on here. I don't know if this is of interest to you guys. I don't know if you follow along with that journey, but I wanted to give that update. I find out from my early decision school and about two weeks when you're hearing this if you're listening when this episode comes out and then from there depending on how that goes I'll be applying to a lot more schools come January. It's just crazy we're almost done with this semester. I remember when we started school and it, we were like oh okay like we're on zoom for a bit like we're not going back to school but it just doesn't feel like a whole semester has passed if that makes sense like time has literally flown and it doesn't feel like the same amount of time that it was last year. Other things that are happening in the She Persisted world, I am doing a little Vlogmas moment. I'm doing a week in my life as a 17-year-old podcaster, production assistant, and high school student. So once a week, I'll be uploading those vlogs of kind of what goes on the behind the scenes of podcasting, a day in my life, etc. So you guys can find those on YouTube. And of course, I'll link that in today's show notes. Other big things, we hit a thousand followers on the She Persisted podcast Instagram. If you're not following along, head to Instagram. The username is She Persisted Podcast. I'm honestly on there way more than I'm on my personal Instagram. I just love the community that we've made on there. I post tons of resources, a lot of behind the scenes on the episode whether it's recording, the editing process, quotes from the episode, sound bites, etc. You name it, it's on that Instagram account. And if you're watching the video of this, you're seeing that on Instagram. On to this week's episode. I have an amazing interview today with a woman named Sage Lally. She created B, which you can find at Instagram at b.womn and online at bewomn.com. So to give you a little context into that, B is a newsletter and community that empowers women and non-binary people to step into their collective experience and share what makes theirs different and the same. And so her goal with B is really to promote active inclusion for people of all backgrounds, really just creating an intersectional community 
and encouraging people to take radical accountability for themselves in all areas of her work. So I connected with Sage when she asked if I would be a guest on her podcast. So of course, I'll link the B podcast in the description. And we sat down, talked about my experience with DBT, my mental health story, depression, anxiety, experiencing that as an adolescent. And she had gone through DBT as well. And so that was just crazy. Whenever you connect with people that have something like DBT in common with, if, if you're new on the podcast, DBT stands for Dialectical Behavioral Therapy, and it is a type of therapy, and when you boil it down, you can kind of describe it as a giant book of skills that teach you how to navigate life. And it's everything from how to interact effectively with people to how to tolerate distress in the moment. And so when you get to a point where you're so far removed from coping effectively or in a healthy way, and when you're really struggling, having these straightforward ways to help cope with what you're feeling is so helpful. So I did dialectical behavioral therapy. I have tons of episodes about it. Of course, I'm not a professional, but I bring what I learned to you in some episodes. So you can find those in today's description, but we connected over that. And that was just so cool to kind of sit down and hear from her that she'd gone through that as well. So when I was planning episodes for the podcast return, I asked her if she would be interested in coming on the show. And she said, yes, of course. So this interview is just phenomenal. We hear her personal story. We hear what led her to do DBT during her time at NYU. She's since graduated and she started B, which we just talked about. So newsletter, community, Instagram account. And you guys have to sign up for these newsletters. So I'm constantly subscribing to people's newsletters, getting inspiration, finding new ways to write different things. And hers is the most chock full newsletter that I receive on a weekly basis. So each week covers a different issue. Last week was issue 24 and it talked about reconnecting with your ambition. And you get this newsletter. You first have like this intro from her talking about the subject for that week. She has a guest come in and write a little piece about what the topic is. So I'm actually going to be featured in the one about depression in 2021. She has this little section called the group chat. So she has people send her anonymous messages and talking about the topic of the week and adding their input. And it's just so cute. There's a goal for this week, what's coming up next in ways that you can help contribute to the newsletter. And so it's just such a lovely thing to receive in your inbox every week. I cannot recommend highly enough. And of course, I'll leave her website in today's description so you can head over there and check it out. And then the last thing that I want to add on in here, what do you guys want to see next? I would love to bring back a Q&A. I would love to bring back some more episodes that involve you guys. So let me know on Instagram. You can always shoot me an email. My email's in the show notes. What do you guys want to see in the upcoming podcast episodes? Of course, I'm going to keep doing interviews, but I want to know what you guys want. All right. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. much for joining me on She Persisted. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So to give listeners a little bit of context, can you tell me a little bit about you, a little bit about your mental health journey, and just some context um, as to your life story? Sure. So uh, my name is Sage. I just turned 23, and I am currently working on my company, my community, B, which is a newsletter, an online community, and soon-to-be podcast that shares women and non-binary people's stories and advice on new topics weekly, and just really aims to connect women and non-binary people based off of their collective experiences. So it's kind of like how I feel 
when you get together with your friends and you share a story about something and everyone has their own kind of perspective and advice and experience around that same topic, that's kind of what I try to do with each week's newsletter is compile people's stories and share what makes them similar, but also what makes them different. So that's my current thing. Before B, I worked in a lot of, yeah, I worked in a lot of startups. So I just graduated from NYU last year in 2019. I got my degree in photography with a minor in child and adolescent mental health. So that's when a lot of my knowledge and where a lot of my knowledge on mental health came from was Mm -hmm. it took several classes on it, but also my own personal experience. My mental health journey didn't really start or was not, I was not really aware of my mental health until I was in college and my freshman year of college I started going to therapy for the first time because I thought I had an eating disorder but it turns out I just was a confused freshman that didn't really understand (laughs) how to feed herself or what was the best you know amount of calories to eat and obviously you know I had like the freshman 15 and like it was just Mm -hmm. a lot of confusion and transition, but it got me to go to therapy for the first time. Now that's impressive. I know a lot of people are very hesitant to like make that first step, make that first yeah. appointment. <laughs> the yeah. fact that you're able to do that completely independently in college and advocate on that skill, a lot of admiration to you regarding that. Yeah, I've always been someone who's like extremely self aware, and mm-hmm. I always I'm trying to make myself better and improve myself, which is a pro and a con. Um, (laughs) But anyways, that was my first therapist. I've had seven therapists in my life for not any specific reason to do with like, I just have like this, I'm a crazy patient. Well, the first one, it's like, I have different reasons, but the first one's kind of funny. My first therapist was actually this older white gentleman who was kind of like, you know, a grandpa vibe. (laughs) He's the one who first introduced me to DBT, which is interesting. At that time, it was just like he gave me a workbook. It wasn't even the official one. It wasn't Marshall in hands. It was like that one with the green, like the light green cover. I don't know if you've seen that one before. I don't think so. Second most popular DBT book. But the reason I left him was because that semester that I started seeing him, I also came out as bisexual and met my first girlfriend and it was just so awkward for me to go into sessions and like Mm -hmm. share stories about like me realizing that I'm attracted to women and like exploring my sexuality with this girl to like this older white dude Mm so I switched to a woman and like I think that's something where people feel like when they get to therapy like you're stuck with that therapist yeah Yeah, and it's like not it's not you saying that you don't think like the therapist is doing their job correctly like it's okay to not have something be a good fit the same thing as any relationship or friendship some like sometimes you just can't have those conversations you aren't able to be completely vulnerable and like that's totally normal yeah no you have to definitely keep trying so I saw a woman then I stopped seeing her because I went to study abroad and I had Mm -hmm. a different therapist abroad and then I came back and I thought I had ADHD because my psychiatrist diagnosed me with ADHD. And so I thought I needed to see a therapist that specialized in ADHD. So 
I did that and I went through CBT. Mm-hmm. Um, not really officially or specifically, just a CBD, CBT, not CBT. <laughs> trained there a bit. And then she stopped practicing. So then at that point, I was like, okay, therapy is really expensive. I'm not going to do it uh, anymore or as often because mm-hmm. at NYU, you have free therapy guaranteed for everyone. But there's a lot of students. So you see your therapist maybe once every eight weeks, which can be weird for people who have a lot of mental health struggles. Obviously, once every two months is good for, you know, some maintenance if you're really thriving or not someone with mental health issues. So that's really when my mental health took a extreme downhill. Um, I remember when I was like really struggling. a week off was like craziness to think that like I wouldn't be able to see my therapist yeah. for 14 days instead of seven, but eight weeks. Wow. Yeah. yeah. There was like, at like the therapist I saw was seeing before that I was seeing her every two, like twice a week. Then I, since I was in therapy so infrequently, which was not any fault to my therapist, she was great. It was just like, she can only see so many people yeah. in a school of like, that many. So that's when my mental health took a very downward slide. I was also about to graduate NYU. And I was just all of a sudden, like, I think it was a mixture of about to graduate emotions feeling like I, I'm not I went to art school. It's not like I was that type of person who has like a job walking out of college. Yeah. So I had a lot of fear about the future. And the therapist I had had a specific approach that got me to really realize, a, like almost like psychoanalyze my family and my past. So I, she's kind of rocked the boat of what I saw as like how I looked back on my life, which was good, and it got me to really realize a lot of things. But it also brought up a lot of a lot of emotions for me, and I'm someone who generally just deals with what I like to call big emotions. So I was in this time of extreme emotions from about to graduate, lack of support system. The support system I thought I had was not as stable as I originally thought. Mm -hmm. And just this huge kind of eruption led to me just ending up basically in the psych hospital my friend Mm -hmm. asked her therapist what the best psych hospital in in New York is. And they took me to that. It was the NYU Tisch hospital in Manhattan. Went there, spent 32 hours in the ER because people don't often realize that sometimes beds in the psych ward aren't available. So you just have to wait. I had my one-on-one lady watching me do everything, watching me sleep, pee, poop, eat, sit there with my friends. But then I went into the psych hospital. I was there for a week. And I basically was required to join a DBT program if I wanted to be released. And I really did because the next week I was graduating college. And oh my God. I was like, there's no way that no. I am letting anything prevent me from graduating. Mm-hmm. So... I worked really hard. I was in there for like, I guess, five days. 
and that place was much better. It was it was very interesting experience for sure. It was really hard on my family. There was a huge shift in kind of my parents seeing my mental health differently mm-hmm. and putting a large emphasis on making sure I got the care that I needed. So that's when I started DBT. I joined program. I had my wonderful therapist, Ashley, who got a job and now can't see private patients anymore, clients. She was awesome. And also, you're not supposed to be in DBT forever. It's like it ends at some point. This week's episode is sponsored by Teen Counseling. I cannot tell you guys how many DMs, texts, emails I get from teens, parents, even friends asking, how can I find a therapist? How can I enroll in therapy? How can I find a therapist for my teen? How do I tell my parents I want to go to therapy? That's why I'm partnering with Teen Counseling. Teen Counseling is an online therapy program with over 14,000 licensed therapists in their network. They offer support on things like depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, and more, and it's all targeted at teens. They offer text, talk, and video counseling. So no matter what level of support you're looking for, they got you. You're going to go to teencounseling.com slash she persisted. You'll fill out a quick survey about what your goals are for therapy, whether that's improving your mental health during the pandemic, working on your relationship with your parents, improving self-esteem, whatever it is, they'll match you with therapists that fit your needs. You'll enter your information and your parents' information. Your parents will get a super discreet email saying your child is interested in working with a licensed therapist at teencounseling.com. They head to the website, learn a little bit more about the program, and a preview to work with a therapist. And from there, you can meet with that therapist on a frequency that works for you. This is a great way to dip your toe into the therapy world and get support when you need it without having to go into an office, meet with a therapist, meet with a stranger, and go through all of that for the first time. So you can go to teencounseling.com slash she persisted. Again, that's teencounseling.com slash she persisted to get started today. So... What was it like after going through the whole hospital experience, kind of, you mentioned some relational friend stuff having to be repaired and damage being there. What was that like going back into your life? And it feels a lot of the time like you're picking up the pieces because you've just been pulled yeah. out of everything for a week and in a bubble. What was that like kind of going and jumping yeah. back in? It's it's a mixture of emotions. A lot of it Well, at the time, I had my boyfriend who broke up with me a week after I got out of the hospital. Oh, God. He's one of my close friends now. And it's, it's fine. And it was, it was a lot of because of he couldn't be there emotionally in the way that I needed at the time. It was Mm -hmm. obviously a lot to put someone through. So that happened. (laughs) In addition, I think I had the lucky opportunity to really be thrown into an extremely joyful life event because I was graduating college. But it was really a mixture of embarrassing and almost sad. I feel like I disappointed people. Like my professors and people who asked me what happened, everyone just kind of didn't know what What to say also felt really sad and kind of like what what do you mean why would you do that so I felt like I kind of let people down and so that kind of made me embarrassed but also I got a lot of attention and validation and people wanting to be there for me however it's interesting when you go to that level of needing that much support because 
people will often see that as I don't need to be there for this person anymore because they're getting this extreme support from doctors, hospitals, nurses, families. So a lot of people kind of withdrew because they had a lot going on themselves. And also just because being there and supporting someone in that place is so exhausting and Mm -hmm. you can get compassion fatigue basically from being kind of someone's full-time support, trying to convince them not to die. That's very tiring, I'm sure. So it was kind of a mixture of those things. But I think luckily I was thrown into these new these new things that made it so I was able to move forward and gave me some hope because I had this new therapy program to do. Mm-hmm. So DBT, I obviously did it as an adolescent. I did it a couple of different times, but I want to hear from you big picture, what was helpful, what resonated. And yeah, I guess those are the two questions to start with. Yeah. So I feel like DBT is what really was the turning point in my ability to cope with my emotions because I felt like um, it was all of the skills that I needed to cope with everything that I was going through and everything that I felt. I just didn't know them. And it was almost like, why don't I know these things? Why are these not something that everyone knows? Or Mm -hmm. why do some people know them, but not others? That type of thing. And I felt at first, like, when you look at the four modules of DBT, they're skills I feel like just everyone should know. But the ones that really stuck with me were distress tolerance and emotional regulation. And I feel like specifically emotional emotional regulation was what helped the most because... And also, well, distress tolerance and emotional regulation work together because I feel like I finally understood that everyone in my life was trying to help me problem solve when I didn't have the language to communicate that it's impossible to problem solve in when you're in a level of distress that allows you not to be able to think. So you have to yeah, lower you distress. Yeah, that validation. Yeah. You need to lower distress and then problem solve when you have calmed down. And I think that was a huge missing piece for me was getting people to understand that when you're in a high level of distress, you cannot, you know, problem solve and think logically. And nobody really understood how to help me lower my distress. So I use And I think a lot- that's like a pretty a pretty common thing. Like maybe if you're a trained therapist, you can help someone lower the, the your their distress. But a lot of the time it's someone's personal skills. And everyone it's so subjective. So what works for me to lower my distress, whether it's like taking a shower or listening to music that might not work for you. And so it really is that education before you get to that point of high emotional distress of this is what helps me calm down. This is These are the skills that really help me function. And this is how I can make this plan to implement those when things go south. Yeah, that was extremely important for me, mm-hmm. learning how to calm down and how to do it myself without other people. Because I had come mm-hmm. up with all of these maladaptive coping mechanisms to force others into helping me calm down and helping me feel better when really I had 
a lack of skills to know how to do that myself. So a lot of the skills that I use are distress tolerance being like the type And getting of- like into tons of details. What are those specific skills that you love? Yeah, I, I, my top skills that I reach to, it's hard to remember all of them when I you know distress. So you have mm-hmm. to have your like, go-to ones. I probably use breathing the most. I do mm-hmm. a lot of four, seven, eight breaths. Explaining that for listeners. Sure. Walk, uh, walk me through that. Hot on your platform so far. So <laughs> let me need to explain something. But four, seven, eight breaths are basically inhaling for four, holding for seven, and exhaling for eight. And I found that number pattern is the most effective for me. I think box breathing is also popular, but I think having for some reason that kind of irregular number pattern is better in some capacity. Yeah. It makes you like really stop what you're doing and like be intentional rather than just getting in that, that pattern. If I am in my like maximum distress, like to the point where I just can't even think I'm so just dissociated or emotional or just Mm -hmm. incapable of calming down my one trick is to count I just count whatever is in front of me from ceiling tiles to wrinkles on my hand something that is really hard to finish counting Mm -hmm. Um, and that normally works I will also do the tip skill the temperature part, the dive skill, when you put your face in a bowl of ice water. I've learned that one's a little hard for me because oftentimes when I'm emotionally distressed, I'm crying. So then when you're like face down in Bubbles like, and water, yeah. like trying to breathe in the ice water, is like snot and it's, yeah. it doesn't work necessarily. So I put ice in my hands. That works mm-hmm. if you're crying. But yeah. And I, I think feel- one important thing to mention with navigating coping in a moment of extreme distress especially when it's like anger or feeling really hurt or even just again like we talked about having really high suicidal ideation is willingness to want to cope through something and and seeing the wisdom and the point in coping coping through that situation and that was something I struggled with for a really long time now I feel like I I can come by that willingness more easily. But when I was struggling and before I'd gone through intensive DBT, someone would like literally put a bowl of ice in front of me and I wouldn't do it. Or I knew I had to do breathing. I knew I had to go and take a walk and I just didn't want to because it's so much easier to sit in that discomfort, to sit in that distress because that's what's comfortable for you. And we get into that point where that distress state serves us. We get validation. we We get support. We get people see that you're in pain and it's a physical representation of that. And so the willingness and the wisdom in that situation is one of the hardest things in the world to kind of wrap your mind around. And sometimes it's just doing it on impulse and not really thinking through it and not convincing yourself that it's worth it and that life is worth living. It's just doing it anyways and not really for a reason. But yeah. I think it was a lot for me. Like I, I relate to that a lot. And a lot of the time when you have these kind of maladaptive coping mechanisms, mm-hmm. especially when they work, when you're in a yeah. chain where I do this thing and I get validation, I get people to worry about me, care about me. That's the hardest to break because you're like, oh, I could calm down, but why would I want to calm down when this is working? When yeah. I'm, my needs met, 
for you, it could be, oh, when I cut, then people respond, people are worried about me, people care about me. But if I just calm down and don't cut, nobody will really do anything. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of my treatment was trying to let go of the external validation that people gave me when I showed physical forms of distress and learning that I don't need to do that and finding other ways to meet my emotional needs that did not rely upon kind of bad coping mechanisms. Mm -hmm. So yeah, willingness was a big part of it. A lot of it was me preparing my friends and family ahead of time to force me to be willful or not be willful. I would tell basically it's like we got to a point in my treatment where I my therapist told me to tell my friends and family that if I threatened to kill myself to not talk to me for 24 hours. That's one of the hardest things is in DBT also they do phone coaching and if you have a lapse in any behavior that is harming yourself. You can't talk to your therapist via phone or get support or coaching for 24 hours. And it's extremely effective because it is that punishment and that negative reinforcement for that behavior. Mm -hmm. And it's so hard. It's so painful. And it's, it's one of the most difficult, difficult experiences. And it's really hard to put words to exactly what it's like, but it, it's, it's awful for sure. Yeah. It's kind of like if you, got in trouble with your parent and they just didn't talk to you for the worst feeling yeah so it's um, like I'm not mad I'm just disappointed like oh yeah sure it was always with a lot of love but there came a point where there there's a lot of truth in that because you're breaking a negative cycle you're not you're doing the behavior but it's not working and Mm -hmm. that's kind of rewriting a loop that you've created in your brain your whole life and that's a lot of what I see DBT as is a lot of compassion but a lot of like really hard work to rewrite what coping strategies you've used to calm your emotions and to you know have conversations with people get what your what your needs are your emotional needs met so diving into your work with B i want to kind of hear what inspired you to start that what that was like at the beginning and just kind of your launch story sure so i thought of B a few years ago originally it was just going to be a podcast and i wanted to call it good to be and basically each episode would talk about why it's good to be that person that I'm interviewing. It's really transformed since then, but I've always wanted to have it be an emphasis on storytelling and on women's stories specifically. And when quarantine happened around March, I was working as the marketing manager for a startup. And I had learned a lot of skills from my various jobs since being in college. And I wanted to kind of take the risk and start building my own thing that had elements and lessons that I had learned from the jobs I had had so far. So mm-hmm. I had the idea to make it a newsletter, which I find to be really funny because I went to school for photography and <laughs> not really a visual, a visual thing. I'm, I'm writing every week, which I would have never thought I would be doing um, yeah. and possibly or just audio. It's kind of funny that nothing I'm doing is visual right now. But anyways, I 
really like wanted to make sure that it was something that was useful to people and that could actually provide some sort of value. So I interviewed like 60 people, my friends that are super close to me all the way to people I hadn't talked to since high school. I just reached out to everyone and interviewed them and kind of figured out what people are interested in and what they would be interested in reading, if they even read newsletters, that type of thing. And I launched in June. And it was really funny because I launched on Sunday the 21st and Monday morning I lost my job. And then I was like, all right, I guess B is my full-time gig. Yeah. So I, ever since the very first day, have been working on B entirely full-time. So it's been a labor of love. I pour a lot of time in it. I probably work on it way more than I would a full-time job, mm-hmm. but I I love how much I've gotten to learn from it and how many incredibly interesting and dynamic people I've gotten to interview for it and how I've been able to use it as a platform to amplify women and non-binary people's voices and share their stories and their advice. And I think it's really interesting because a lot of my photography, my my documentary work, and anything that I created in art school, I always tried to make myself the platform people could kind of stand upon and share their own stories. I've always just wanted to be a vessel for people to communicate their truth, their stories, and their own words. And I think there's something really powerful about someone with my level of privilege as a middle-class white woman being able to open the door for people to share stories in spaces they might not be able to access because of the way that society is currently constructed and the bias and kind of just structural racism that we have Mm -hmm. in our country. So a lot of what my mission has been is how can I use this platform, my privilege and my space to educate women and non-binary people about every type of experience and desire and walk of life that women and non-binary people experience. So you'll see our newsletters on everything from, uh, we have one coming out about women astronauts, which is very cool. Mm-hmm. And that will be interviewing women who want to be, you know, the first Indian woman on Mars and women who are in space programs and planning to join NASA and we're doing another issue on porn and sex work for you know we have a company that we're interviewing who is a storytelling erotica audio erotica platform where women can submit their own kind of stories and people can subscribe and follow and follow them so we have that and a trans woman who is talking about their OnlyFans platform. And so you'll see that type of person Mm -hmm. Um, all the way to us talking about, you know, Catholicism or we'll have periods and all that type of thing. And basically the entire point is how can I share every type of experience women and non-binary people go through from Mm -hmm. being, you know, Christian to Republican to trans to non-binary. So 
I'm just trying to figure out every angle that I could possibly take and educate people on that type of person and what they're interested in and what they do and, you know, share the advice that they can provide that we can all utilize. So basically seeing what what we have in common with someone who might not be doing something that we necessarily would ever do or would be interested in doing. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I love that. What are the best piece of ad- pieces of advice that you have learned along the way of interviewing all these people, having all these amazing conversations? What are the little tips and tricks that really stuck with you? Yeah, I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned from all of them is I've learned a lot about representation. I have learned about kind of how one of the most interesting interviews I did was with my friend Madison, who's in a wheelchair. So I've gotten to kind of learn how to talk about people with differences that I don't have. So whether that be disabilities, I've interviewed someone who is deaf, and I got to kind of hear how to best talk about that. From, like I said, you know, women astronauts, how that type of experience is. And I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned kind of as a whole is how to represent people in a way that is fair and, you know, represents them in a way that is appropriate, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And how to represent people responsibly, basically, is the, the real way to put it. So I've learned how to represent people responsibly. One of the kind of smaller, I feel like I learned something from every issue. The most recent one we did was with my friend Lauren, who runs an organization called Gather. And from Lauren, she's one of my friends. So I have to separate everything I've learned from her as an individual for what she taught in the newsletter. But Mm -hmm. she, let me think of one that is more recent. I feel like I pulled, one of my favorite issues is the one we did on periods and menstruation. And I think it was interesting for me to do that one because I had not looked at all the perspectives that people can have on menstruation and also how intersectional menstruation can be. So for that issue, I really tried to dive into the different perspectives someone could have on menstruation. And I learned how trans women will mimic periods or simulate periods for their own kind of gender affirmation. I learned how blind people, blind women, menstruators, I also learned to call people who have periods menstruators and not women, but blind menstruators know mm-hmm. they have their period, how people with physical disabilities know they have their period, etc. and experience their period. So I think the biggest lesson for each topic is basically understanding how one topic can be seen from like 20 different perspectives and then trying to dive into all of those perspectives Mm -hmm. and educate myself on that. So I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. You probably want me to be like sleep at 10 PM or something like my Um, Okay, so last question. What is your best piece of advice 
I have two subparts. One, your best piece of advice for someone that's currently struggling with their mental health. And then second, your best piece of advice for someone who is trying to understand someone else's perspective and trying to increase their awareness on a subject. Sure. So for the first question, my best piece of advice for someone struggling with their mental health is to first go to therapy. That's my mm-hmm. my given. But if you're already in therapy and you're struggling, I would highly recommend learning ways to communicate to those around you how to help you. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times, unless you are someone like us, most people try to emotionally cope internally is what I've noticed. It is more rare for me to see people who use external sources to cope with their emotions. So allow others to help you and try to think when you're not distressed, how you can calm down and kind of skills you can turn to to calm down and then teach those around you those skills. Whether that be if you're having a panic attack and telling someone to go get me two cubes of ice to hold in my hand, or knowing that yourself. Basically, having a crisis survival guide for yourself Mm -hmm. and educating people around you on the steps in that. So do it when you're not distressed, but you might have to try a few different things when you're actually distressed to see if they work because oftentimes it's hard to tell what will work when you're not distressed. Mm -hmm. So Yeah, that's my tip for that. For people trying to understand someone else's perspective, I I think a lot of the time I try to ask more questions than I talk. And I also try to approach someone as a person first rather than the difference or the interesting thing I'm interviewing them on. So if it's, you know, a sex worker, I'm not thinking, oh, this person's a sex worker. I'm thinking, oh, they're, you know, insert their name here. <laughs> so I try to think of them as person and relate to them as a human being. And then I ask them questions that allow them to, you know, have, I ask them questions and I also do a lot of self-disclosure. So I create space a vulnerable space where they can be vulnerable themselves. But I don't also give them more than I feel like they can handle. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's how you give people space for authenticity. And to be your authentic self, you don't have to really share all of yourself with someone else. You just have to share the parts that people can handle and allow them to use that space, use that self-disclosure, that information to open up and be vulnerable themselves. And so ask questions, relate to someone as a human being and, you know, make space through your own vulnerability for someone else to be vulnerable. I love that. Well, where can listeners find you? Where can they keep up with B? Where can they just get in touch with you? Sure. Our most active platform is our Instagram, where you can find us is at B, like to be or not to be, dot <laughs> <laughs> women, which is spelled W O M N. And our website is B women, spelled the same, dot com. We have a Twitter too, a Facebook. You can find us in most places. But 
yeah, you can subscribe on our website to the newsletter. There's also a link in our bio on Instagram and our podcast will be out soon. So follow us there to figure out when it will be out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I'm so glad we got to sit down. I feel like there's so much helpful information in this episode. And yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm so grateful I got to come on.